This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everybody. My name is Bill Bernadoni, and I'm one of Dr. Jacobs' producers. And I wanted to take just a second to introduce this segment that Dr. Jacobs found recently and was able to make it so you would be able to listen to it. And we are so excited for you to listen to this. Uh, It is truly a wonderful, wonderful interview. It's his conversation that he had in 1996 with the Hall of Famer, the legendary Chiefs coach, Hank Stram. And this is a wonderful conversation. Parts of it were on the air. Parts of it were even off the air. And we thought this would be appropriate, given the week that it is, to bring this interview to you. Uh, One more quick thing before I play the interview for you. If you wouldn't mind to please visit winnersunlimited.com. That's winnersunlimited.com. And click on the Sportsmanship Foundation. What we're trying to do with the Sportsmanship Foundation is to educate athletes, parents, coaches, officials, and the general public about sportsmanship. Uh, It's a 501c3 nonprofit charity corporation, Kansas-based. And to learn more information, just go to winnersunlimited.com, click on the Sportsmanship Foundation, and you can learn all about uh, what Dr. Jacobs uh, is trying to do with the Sportsmanship Foundation, and you can make a contribution to the Sportsmanship Foundation as well. Again, my name is Bill Bernadoni, and here is that interview that you've been waiting for. It's Dr. Andrew Jacobs in 1996 talking to the man, the myth, the legend himself, Legendary Chiefs coach, Hank Stram. Let's talk for a few minutes, if we can, just about what's been going on with you lately. I know, as everyone does here in town, that you uh, do the CBS broadcasts on TV and radio, the Monday night games, and a lot of the Sunday afternoon football games. And what's that been like for you? Uh, I know you've been radio now and TV for quite a while, but what's that change been like for you coming off the coaching sidelines and into the broadcast booth? Uh, It was very exciting for me to be able to go into another career that involved a that I've loved so much and been involved with so long. I was in the coaching business for 30 years as, you know, as, a, as an assistant coach and a head baseball coach at Purdue when I was 24, 25. And then uh, to be, be fortunate enough to be uh, involved with great universities like Purdue University, Notre Dame, SMU, and the University of Miami of Florida. Uh, that was for a period of 12 years. And then to be uh, able to coach in the National Football League for 15 years with the Kansas City Chiefs, who initially were the Dallas Texans, and uh, fortunate enough to win every big game there was to win over that uh, span of time. It was uh, very gratifying and very satisfying to, after 15 years at Kansas City, 
and Dallas. Uh, we were five games away from being the winningest team in all of pro football during that 15-year span of time. We won every big game there was to play. And uh, so, you know, it was a great run. And then to be involved in uh, radio and television with CBS for another 15 or 16 years uh, is, is another a great feeling of accomplishment. And uh, I look back at it all and, and think of, you know, how lucky can you be to be able to have a run like I have had at big-time universities, professional football, and now with a big league CBS, CBS network with radio and television. I will do this year 47 games for CBS radio and television. I have a game every Sunday for television, one every Monday for radio. I will do the Pro Bowl, the, the, the Super Bowl. I've done that for the last 15 years. And so uh, I don't know what I could ask uh, that would be better than what I have done. You know, I'm still in the arena. Yeah, it's a different seat in the arena, but uh, I, I'm involved with in more games now than I than I was when I was coaching. The year we won the Super Bowl, we were involved in 23 games. We won 20 of those 23 games, and that was a lot. Now I have 47 to 50 every year, and so that's the, really the fun of it, to be involved in a competition and be in the arena uh, like I have for all these years. You know, obviously you're a man who has a tremendous amount of motivation, a tremendous amount of drive. As, as everyone here in Kansas City remembers you, you were you know, an innovator in, in a lot of different things in the NFL, and, and you were a very popular coach here in town, maybe the most popular coach the Chiefs had ever had. When you first went to Purdue University, uh, did you have any idea in your mind that, that this was something that was going to happen for you? Were these goals you had in mind when you went off to college? No, very honestly, my goals were kind of like most young people. Uh, my dad died when I was 14, and uh, really and truly I lived in Gary, Indiana, and uh, I think at that particular time, my high school, the high school that I went to, was 10 years old. And over that 10-year span of time, nobody had gone to college and graduated from, from a university. And uh, the common feeling was, well, you know, you can go to other schools, but you go to this one, and, uh, you know, you'll never get a chance to go to college. You'll never succeed in college. And that was kind of the negative attitude that prevailed at that particular time. How did you make that work for you then? Well, I never gave it much thought because my dad died and I just thought that probably I would never have the chance to go to uh, a university because, I'm, you know, there was no way that my mother could afford it. She bought a little restaurant on the other part of town and uh, I spent every, every day helping her at the restaurant with my sister. I didn't help nearly as much as my sister did <laughs> because of my involvement in football and track and baseball and basketball. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I just played it because I loved to play it. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, my senior year, I, I uh, uh, was an All-State halfback and also All-Conference and all those things, captain of our football team. And uh, suddenly I got a call from Notre Dame when Elma Layden was a coach and said that uh, he would like for me to attend the University of Notre Dame, that I had a scholarship there. And uh, I was all excited, like I died and went to heaven, because Notre Dame was always my school. Mm -hmm. That was the one I loved and uh, uh, followed, and, uh, you know, it was just a dream come true if that were to happen. Uh, unfortunately, however, after the season, I, had, uh, I was all set. I had many opportunities to go to a variety of places, but I never even gave it a consideration because of, of Notre Dame. And then uh, after that season, why Elmer Layden uh, was fired from Notre Dame, and uh, they got a new coaching staff and a new, you know, new program, and the coach was Frank Leahy. And uh, so 
Uh, I never forget they had me come up for a visit uh, late in the spring and early summer. I went up there. They wanted me to come back. Uh, they wanted me to come to, to Notre Dame on a scholarship, but they said that with the flow of people that they got from the East, where, where Frank Leahy coached at Boston College, uh, they couldn't give me a full scholarship. They were concerned about my size, but would give me a half scholarship, and uh, that's the way I would attend the university. Well, I wanted to do that, except I had opportunities in other places, and uh, they just I talked to Notre Dame people, and they thought, thought it was foolish because the burden financially would be too severe, and I couldn't, my mother couldn't uh, handle it. And so I wound up going to Purdue University. And uh, as a result, I went there with the high hopes and expectation of being a starter and being an outstanding player and all the dreams of, of Tommy Harmon and Tony Zale, who was a champion from my hometown of Gary, Indiana. And those were all the dreams and ambitions, but there were, it, was, it was immediate. It wasn't anything that was projected. And then as a result, I was a starting halfback there. And uh, uh, as a sophomore, and then the war came, I went to the service for three years and dreamed about going back to Purdue. At that time, I think Purdue was about 6,500 people, students. I uh, dreamed every day about going back to Purdue and playing baseball and playing football where I left off. And when I went back, it was like, it was like a small city. Uh, it had grown so much and everything was different. We had four different coaches in the four years I was at Purdue. Uh, I played football and I played baseball for four years as a, a shortstop on the, on the baseball team. And uh, uh, then, you know, I, I, I had an opportunity when I graduated to, to uh, uh, take several high school coaches, uh, coaching jobs in Indiana as a head coach, but I just never had the motivation, didn't feel that I wanted to do that because I thought that the, the road would be too slow and too difficult because of what happened to the coaches that I was associated with and Gary. They were all great coaches, but they were, you know, at those high school jobs for all their careers. So was it, and, did uh, it ever end? I just didn't feel that I wanted to do that. And I had taken a job with the Riddell Sporting Goods business in Chicago as a salesperson. We just got back from a baseball game. Uh, at doubleheader at Michigan. I came back to the Sigma Chi house where I lived and uh, uh, had a note about uh, an interview in Chicago with the Riddell Sporting People, Goods People. I went up there. They gave me the job. I accepted the job. And when I came back to Purdue, there was a note on the bulletin board saying, before you leave, be sure to stop by and see Red Mackey and Stu Holcomb, who, are my, uh, who is the athletic director and head football coach. And so I, I uh, was reluctant to stop by. I thought maybe uh, <laughs> something was wrong. And so anyway, I went back, and I knew that I had one more year of eligibility of football, and I, th I thought maybe that's what they were going to address uh, to me at that time. But I went and talked to them, and they said they were going to pick the outstanding senior athlete and student uh, each year from this time on and put them on the football staff. And I almost fell out of the chair. And, because now uh, all of a sudden so you became I an assistant. immediately accepted the job and uh, started off on the basis that I would be there for one year and, uh, and then go on to another university. But it turned out that I was there for eight years, became the head baseball coach, who was involved in a head coaching job, and didn't get it. And as a result, uh, they said, well, I could stay at Purdue for the rest of my life if I wanted to as a head, football, I mean, as a head baseball coach and also the assistant football coach, but that's not what I wanted. 
I got involved in wanting to be a head football coach, and I dreamed about that every day, and uh, everything I did was predicated and based on becoming a head football coach, and finally the opportunity came in ninth, after I was at University of Miami. Uh, the opportunity came, Lamar Hunt uh, came to Miami and told me about the American Football League and uh, said that he would like for me to be the head coach, and uh, was I interested in it? At that time, I had three or four other college opportunities they all came at the same time but i thought this would be a remarkable you know opportunity and so i took the job and uh, the rest is history that's how it all turned out well you know coach you obviously have uh, had a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge and a lot of your coaching techniques were innovative in the afl and obviously when the uh, afl merged with the nfl when we come back from this break i'd like to talk to you a little bit about motivating these athletes back in the early days of the afl and and maybe what some of the changes that have occurred with athletes since you were coaching to today? Because obviously there's, there's a difference in athletes today, although how we motivate them still is pretty similar. This is Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and we're on the Mental Power Hour here on News Talk 980 KMBZ, and today I'm talking with former Chiefs coach Hank Stram. Welcome you might, back. You might mention, a- Andy. Yes. Yeah, I was coach of the year four times, two in the National Football League. Okay, yeah, I want to get, I've got some of the statistics yeah, here in front of me. Yeah, that's good, because a lot of people forget that stuff, you know. No, I, uh, no I've, got, I've got several, I've went through all my yearbooks, and I have several things here in front of me I wanted to get into that. We'll have about... Uh, you should have written to me, I've got a, I got a resume that's about nine pages, it I, would have been maybe good for you to Well, have. we probably, the problem would have been, we would have spent the whole hour going over your resume. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I meant just for things you could pick and peck at, you know. To oh, well, I, I, talked to, I talked to a few people who remember you, and uh, I've got, like I said, I got some of the old yearbooks and programs out. I saved all that stuff, so. Yeah. I've, okay, well, let's let's come back. We'll have about, uh, let's see. Uh, Is that the kind of stuff you wanted? Was that too yeah, long? Yeah, well, that's what I want to do now, what we'll touch on right here. I want to talk about athletes and motivating them, maybe a couple stories you can tell about motivating athletes and, and like I said the difference in the NFL today versus back then and how you coach athletes at this level and then briefly at the end if we can uh, since we'll just do about nine minutes then we'll be done uh, if we can talk about uh, well I, I'd rather you ask me questions that way you don't ramble you know okay. well, ask me a question I'll answer the question then ask me another one I'll answer that one okay. you can incorporate them any way you want okay good all right let me just wait till we get I'm that just... way you'll get what you want okay well we've got just a couple seconds here and we'll start up here Hello again, everyone. This is sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to the Mental Power Hour here on News Talk 980 KMBZ. And today I'm talking with former Chiefs coach Hank Stram. And, Coach, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, with athletes today, especially in the NFL, there's the NFL has changed so much in, in the last several years. You're seeing bigger and stronger and faster athletes. When you were coaching back in the early days of the AFL and, of course, coaching the Chiefs in the very first Super Bowl and winning Super Bowl four. What was one of the biggest problems you had in motivating athletes back then, and what would you see, say is one of the problems coaches have with athletes today? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think we make a big mistake in our society today, number one. I think parents, teachers, everybody, because I keep hearing the same thing from everybody. They're not the same as they used to be. And uh, I really kind of think that's ridiculous because they're not the same because we don't permit them to be the same. I think everybody is saying now that they're harder to teach, they're harder to deal with, and they, they put the burden on the, on the people, the young people. I think people are people. People will always be people. And uh, there's three kinds of people and three kinds of motivation. Motivation by self, motivation by fear, and motivation by incentive. And motivation number four, of course, is also important, motiv- motivation by um, a 
gotten it back by encouragement, uh, by confidence. And isn't that maybe and the most important one for young people? About. I think discipline, it plays a very important role. I think today in our society today, why it all starts at home. You know, the parents don't, don't um, make kids do what they're supposed to do. The, the teachers at school don't make them do what they're supposed to do. The church doesn't make them do what they're supposed to do. So as a result, everybody is depending on somebody else to do it rather than have a start right at the basic roots, and that is in the home. So what you're and, saying is it really starts with young people, the, the athletes, the professional athletes as they may be today are a re- reflection of what happened to them in their upbringing and a lot of the problems that you're talking about in society comes from the home. That's right. And, uh, you know, you look around and you see, you see people who are uh, young people who are still uh, were born and raised and, and weaned on uh, apple pie religion and family. Uh, those people, usually, I haven't seen one of those people yet that weren't great people to have on your football team because they had that background as youngsters. And uh, now it seems like, you know, the parents are both working and they rely on babysitters to take care of the kids. The discipline isn't the same. Uh, The motivation isn't the same. And I'm not talking about this, you know, it's not unanimously that way, but overall there's a lot more of that that's in our society right now than the other. And uh, as a result, why... As a teacher, you have a strong obligation to make people win the battle within themselves, and that is to make sure they understand that they have to express their God-given skill and ability to the utmost of their capacity to make sure that they succeed. Somehow, some way, they succeed. Well, I would imagine you know quite a bit about this as you've raised six children yourself. Exactly right, yes. And I know that, you know, with the, with the dress code we had at, uh, at Kansas City, uh, People said other coaches said you can't do that. You know that's you. You, you know you're you're a, um, a tyrant. You know you're all kinds of things. And and so, but again, you got to do what you believe. You can't worry about winning a popularity contest if this is what you believe and this is what you want your team to do and what your team to be and you want this is how you want them to act and how they should look and how they should play. You know, I think everything should coincide. If you want to be a champion, and I think you have to do everything uh, that you do uh, as a champion, like a champion would do it. And that was what we taught, and that's what we demanded. And uh, they look back, those players, those same great players that played during that span of time, it's, it's kind of uh, refreshing and, and very heartwarming to visit with them now. And they look back and kind of laugh and smile at what we did back in those days. But they appreciated it very much and respected it very much, and they still honor that same code and those same principles to this day. You know, as a, as a man who won a Super Bowl, I, I'm going to ask an interesting question here. What, what is your definition of success? Success is uh, having a dream and then doing everything you possibly can do to fulfill the dream. It doesn't make any difference. People has a mis- have the mistaken impression that unless your name is in the paper, unless your face is on television, and unless you get a lot of notoriety, you're not successful. If you grow up with the idea of, of wanting to work in the steel mills in Gary, Indiana, where I'm from, and that was your dream and that was your ambition, and you succeeded in doing that, then you're a very successful person. If you, want, if you had dreams of being a, poli- uh, you know, a fireman, a policeman, whatever it might be, and you succeed in fulfilling that dream, then I think you're very successful, and I think that's what success is all about. So I think a lot of people 
uh, imagine a lot of things are really non-existent in that particular situation because they, they think it has to be something that you see on television or somebody you see in the paper, and so, somebody they hear on the radio, or all those kind of things. That's success. A lot of those people are very unhappy people because they're really not doing what they really and truly want to do so what in you're, some cases. What you're emphasizing then is, is basically what a lot of my philosophy is, which everyone who listens to the show knows, is that a winner to me is someone who reaches their own goals and expectations. And those are the things that are, come from within ourselves. And it has a lot to do with the non-materialistic types of goals we set for ourselves. Exactly. Happiness. You have to be able to see strongly and be, uh, uh, see clearly and believe strongly in what you do. And that has to start with happiness within That's oneself. That's right. Exactly right. And, of course, like I've indicated earlier, talking about my background, I just never felt that I worked a day in my life because I've enjoyed this particular life so much, and I, I often look back and think, my gosh, how lucky can you be to, be, to have been through, have a run like you've had? But it, you might feel, you might feel... Hopefully, you know, if I ever get to the Golden Gate, I would like to be able to, you know, ask, you know, why was I so lucky? You might uh, feel lucky, but obviously a lot of these things, Hank, came from your own internal motivation and, and dedication towards reaching goals and, and challenging yourself, and I think that's obviously was something that you used as a coach, which I think probably helped coach a lot of the, the different people, whether it, it, in college or in the professional ranks, and led to your success, and obviously is now... Uh, part of the motivation that's making you a, a top broadcaster. Well, you know, I, I think it, it has to start within the framework of your uh, of the individual. You know, and as I said, you got to have a philosophy. You got to be, believe in yourself. You got to exercise that belief. You got to exercise that uh, formula that you feel that you have to utilize yourself. The big thing is, I think you have to know yourself. Uh, a lot of times, you know, if we're not careful, we we see somebody. Uh, that's uh, very, very successful in your mind, and then you try to imagine what they're like, and then you try to be like that person. And uh, I think that's a big mistake. I think you can take things from people and see. Uh, usually I have found that the bigger the people are, why the better they are, the nicer they are. And uh, But basically you have to be yourself. You've got to know yourself, and you know got to know how you can utilize your skill and ability to get where you want to go. And uh, you can have... You know, I, I think you have to have uh, a goal. I think you have to have a plan to achieve the goal. I think you have a dead, have to have a deadline for its achievement. I think you have to have a burning confidence in, in your own ability to get the job done, the great determination to follow through with all the things that I mentioned earlier, and uh, somehow, some way, make it happen. There's three kinds of people in the world, three kinds of businesses, three kinds of teams. You know, the, number one, the kind of people that make something happen. Number two, the kind of people that wait for something to happen. And then number three, the kind of people, after it's happened, they ask, what in the hell happened? <laughs> and I think you have to be a guy that falls. People, you have to be in, the, in that category of making things happen. Well, obviously, Coach, if we look back on your career as a football coach and, and obviously the last several years in radio and TV, uh, your success is a result of this attitude and this, this type of philosophy. And and I think it's, it's added a lot to a lot of people. You've been a, a strong inspiration to a lot of people, especially here in Kansas City, who many people talk about you all the time. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be on my show with me today. And, you know, it, it, it also lends a lot of credence, I think, to the things I talk to people about. Because to me, a winner is someone who goes out to reach their, their, goal, their own personal goals, but it starts from within yourself, and that's what you've been emphasizing. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, uh, and thanks for adding to the show.
Well, thank you very much, and it's a, your, your program is very, uh, very good, and I think a lot of people are going to benefit from it and probably have already. Well, thanks a lot, Hank. We appreciate okay, it. Okay, thanks, for, thanks very much. This is Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and we've been on the Mental Power Hour here on News Talk 980 KMBZ. Okay, Hank. Okay, Andy, yeah. Andy, do you, uh, is that what you wanted? Hank, that was perfect. That yeah, was, I, I, you know, if we had... have to have a tape of it when you... When I will, I will gladly, I've got, your, I've got your address. Stu gave it to me. I will send it to you. I just want to tell you I really appreciate it because what I talk to people about, and I work with so many young people, and I'm starting to do a lot of speaking nationwide now, is, is this whole philosophy. I mean, what you talked about is exactly what I discussed. We could have spent an hour, we could have spent 20 hours talking to you about the Chiefs and... You know, how you motivated those guys and yeah. what, what scared them, and I'd love to talk to you about that sometime because that's... Yeah, it was good because, for example, you know, uh, we were playing Denver one night, and uh, we were on a Monday night football game in Denver, and we were lousy the first half, and so we, we had to do something, you know. And so the, I think the more self-starters you have, the better off you are, but sometimes you have to use three of, all three of them, fear motivation, incentive motivation. And uh, I told the guys at halftime, I said, listen, you know, you, you're playing like a b- bunch of imposters. This is not the Kansas City Chiefs. This is somebody that pretends they're the Kansas City Chiefs. You got your name on the back of your jersey. You got the helmet with the insignia on it. You got the colors, the logos. Everybody that you ever knew in your lifetime is watching this football game, watching you play, and we're looking like the raggedy ass cadets. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. You're going to play the game like you're supposed to play it. I'm not saying you have to win the game. We were losing at halftime. And I said, you don't have to win the game, but you've got to play like you're supposed to play and uh, play with the kind of motivation that you're used to expressing uh, as the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna, you're going to play this game, and you're going to give everything we possibly can give in the second half. And after grading the films, and I see that somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do the way they were supposed to do it, then you're going to wind up paying, playing the game for nothing. I'm not going to pay, pay a bunch of imposters for pretending they're Kansas City Chiefs football players. Oh, you did that. Now, you you told know what the that. deal is. Now, the guys who don't want to do this, get your clothes on, get out of here, take the bus home. You pay for the bus ride. You're not coming back with us. Or if you want to play under these conditions, then get the hell out there and play like you're supposed to play. And they ran out of the locker room. We wound up, wound up winning the game 42-22 to 22 or something like well, that. Let me ask you I something. mean, that's an illustration of fear motivation. Let me ask you but something, though. You couldn't do that today, though, now, could you? Know, you know, when the time comes, it's the appropriate time. Well, you were you were were you also the GM when you did that? Well, I I didn't have the title, but I was yes. I signed players, I recruited players, I signed you know, I coached them, did everything. Yeah. But you couldn't do that today with a lot of these guys because they'd sit there and flip you off and say, "Hey, I'm making more money than you. Screw you." Pardon? Wouldn't a lot of these players today say, "Hey, you can't tell me that. I'm making more money than you are." That's why it doesn't work because yeah. everybody's saying just what you're saying, which is wrong. So you say you can't do that with players today? The hell you can't. No, I, I'm asked. That's a question I'm asking you. Yeah, sure you can. Yeah. That's because that's what people are saying. You can't do that. But I think you can do anything you want because that's fear right. is the biggest that's motivation of any. Me. You know, they say I had a guy call me one of the great universities in this country. Call me when I was at Kansas City. I used to have all of my friends who I was in college with had their young kids who were interested in football come out and be our managers. Mm-hmm. One of these kids went to this school as a kicker. And he told this coach about what our rules were, regulations and stuff. That school had the worst, one of the worst disciplinary years they've ever had in the history of the school. And so anyway, uh, the guy called me and he said, Say, he said, you know, uh, what's the name is here? And uh, he tells us about uh, your discipline and about your team and all that kind of stuff. Jeez, I can't believe it. You're like Hitler. 
And I said, well, what are you calling me about? I mean, why are you calling me? He said, well, I'm calling you to find out how you do it. He said, I can't do it. I couldn't do anything like that with your dress code, no goatees, no mustaches, no long hair, dress codes and all that. I couldn't do that at my school. I said, well, fine. You know why you can't do it? He said, no, why? Because you're afraid to do it. Exactly, because the reason he's just using it. He's, he's scared to death. That's right. I said, there's no reason you can't do it. you got the chalk. Who's got the chalk? Do you have the chalk? You're the head coach. Who's in you? control is what you're saying. You've got it. What you're, what, if right. I, if so I'm anyway, in... to make a long story short, he said, well, he says, you know, uh, gee, that's interesting. That's great, blah, blah, blah. So in the spring of the year, this kid's dad called me. He was a dear friend. He said, guess what? I said, what? He said, young Scotty just called me and said they had their first spring meeting for spring football. And the coach really laid down the law, and it was exactly the same things that Coach Stram did with the Kansas City Chiefs. And the, the, the kid's dad said, well, asked, what was the reaction of the team? And the kid said, everybody said the same thing. It's about yep, time. That's right. It's that's, about time. Yeah, and see, I see, all want discipline, but they don't get it. Yeah, and it starts, like you said, it starts from the home, and it goes right. all the way up. And, you know, uh, Nick Lowry's worked with me for the last time. This is the ninth year I've been working with him. I don't know if you knew yeah. that or not. And uh, one of the things he and I talk about all the time is, you know, focus and concentration on the field, but it also comes from the discipline and dedication off the field. That's right. And all the things, you know, he's involved in all these different programs. You know, he just won the Humanitarian Award this past year yeah. in the NFL. And uh, all the things that we talk about, whether it's stuff on the field, it's the same stuff off the field. Right. And he's he understands all that. And that's why one of the reasons why I think he's so successful. Well, because, because he applies he got, all yeah, these. He's got pure concentration. And the other thing is, I just don't think you can win if you can't forget you know, no, nothing's perfect. You're going to have some. You're going to have some disappointing times, but if you if you can't forget those bad times, then you're never going to win. Yeah. Well, the fear the fear factor you touched on, you hit on it several times. It, yeah. it, it comes back from fear, and if you're not afraid, I mean, everybody's got to be afraid of something. That's right. You're going to be afraid of not being successful. Right. And that fear, too many people aren't successful because they're afraid to be successful because they're afraid. Oh gosh, now what am I going to do? Yeah. And I could I could tell you stories about all these athletes I've worked with, and that's you know it comes down to that. But that's. I, I listen. I you. I, I just want you to know. When I was growing up, you know, I I never missed a game. We went to the very first game you guys ever played, the Milgram Grocery Bowl. Yeah. And I went to the first Super Bowl. And five thousand people there for that rotten game. Yeah. Well, I I never missed. I've missed three Chiefs games my entire life when I've been in Kansas City. And, uh, uh Well, that's great. I never missed a game. I only missed the only game I missed growing up was the Monday night game against Pittsburgh. You guys hey, played. Hey, Andy, one. what about this guy that's coaching there now? Did did you read the comment after they lost to San Diego last year? They said his team wasn't motivated. And his answer was, I'm, I'm, I'm not supposed to motivate the players. The, motivate, the responsibility to motivate the players is on the players. Now, yeah. how in the hell can a guy be the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs or any professional football team and make that kind of a statement? Well, I don't agree with what that. What if a guy can't win big? You know, now they got to get it. Now he doesn't know anything about offense. They've got to get an offense for him. They've got to get a coach to coach the offense. And then they've got to buy a quarterback to execute the offense. And they still go two games without t- scoring a touchdown. Figure that out. Well... I think you're right. You know, I, I don't know him. I've never met him, and yeah. I, I've tried to talk to them, but they're not interested. I, oh, I, no, he's, a, he's an ego. Well, that's what I thought. Marv, See, Marv Levy wanted to hire me when he was here. Who? Marv Levy. Yeah, sure, Marv would be that kind of Marv, guy, sure. in fact, we had a whole deal worked out in 1982, and the morning I was supposed to show up, that was the year, remember, when the strike went on? Yeah. And the morning I was supposed to, he called me at 1 o'clock in the morning the night before at my home. I was supposed to be at William Jewell at 7 in the morning. And he called me at 1 o'clock, woke me up. 
I was barely asleep because I was so excited about going up there. And he said, don't bother to come because the players will boycott a meeting. They're boycotting everything, and they'll boycott you because they'll see you as management. And he said, and I probably won't be here by the end of the year anyway. And lo and behold, he was fired. Uh-huh. And uh, outside of firing you, I think it was the biggest mistake they made was firing him. Yeah. Because, uh... Well, it's crazy business, you know, and you got to expect that's, that's what's going to happen to everybody in this business, somewhere along the line. But you never, you got to work at it like yeah. you, you can believe that it's never going to happen But to that's you, you Yeah, know? that's why I think the whole key thing comes... The key thing to me, and I, I, I was the royal psychologist in 1990 for the whole year and spent the whole year with them, and... You know, I was in the locker room. I mean, I had everything. I was there all the time. And it all comes down to chemists. You know, once you get it all, then you've got to be a team. You've got to be a family. You've got to be a unit. And you've got to work together. And there's got to be a common goal. But there's got to be the leadership to guide you. Yeah. And if there are problems, you've got to... A reminder that that's what you've got to do every day. Yeah, you and if there... You can't talk about it and say, okay, fine, and then forget about it. You've got to exercise that principle day in and day out. But you've got to have, you've got to have control. You've got to set limits. And you, as you said, you've got to execute the authority. If you don't execute the authority, it isn't going to happen. That's right. And that's the biggest problem to me with sports today is that you've got people who are afraid to execute the authority because then they're sitting there saying, oh, gosh, if I do this, then I'm, you know, I'm going to look bad and I don't want to hurt this guy's feelings, and, and that stuff goes on. Yeah, all excuses rather than reasons. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, and Andy. Well, listen. Just a thanks a million. I appreciate it. Uh, good luck to you. Well, thanks. Love and, your uh, mom. And if anything I can do for you, well, let me know. Well, Hank, listen. I really appreciate it. This has been great. And, and okay, thanks so much well, for your I hope time. Okay. Well, it works out good. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye.